Well, good morning. So uh, good to be with you guys. We're in a series called Awestruck, and uh, we're talking about our glorious King. And we're walking through each week just saying, Lord, I'm ready to have my jaw dropped wide open, seeing how great you are. And so uh, this week, uh, I wanted to start out with a story just to let you uh, kind of get the vision of where we're headed. All right. So uh, college years. Um, over the summer times, so I used to work at the home in the home area there. And uh, every Sunday morning, we would go to church, early service, uh, Sunday school. Uh, and then a group of us, college age, we'd jump in the car and uh, race out to the beach. And uh, we'd spend the rest of the afternoon at the beach there. So it was like 11 to 4 every week, getting a tan, hanging out by the water, playing some volleyball, and, and uh, just having a blast together. And, uh, and then we jump in the car at four o'clock, race home, take a shower, and uh, get back to church for six o'clock. Can you tell I went to a traditional church? <laughs> a lot of church on Sunday. And uh, so we went after it there and uh, had a blast at the beach. There were a couple of times where we went to the dunes and uh, hung out by the dunes. Of course, you have to try to climb the dunes if you're there, right? And, and like, we're not talking the small, we're talking like the massive, high, unbelievable dunes. How many of you have ever climbed the dunes? You know what I'm talking about? All right, so we need to get out of central Illinois. All right, so these dunes, we went after it, and uh, we're talking midsummer, so temps are probably around 100, and the sand is uh, at least 3,000 degrees. I'm convinced of it. And, uh, and of course, we were stupid enough to always try to do it barefoot. And uh, so now you're running up the sand, screaming in pain, and then you know how you stop and you do this with the sand, and then you dig your feet down underneath, and somehow the temperature has plummeted underneath there? And so you stand for a little bit as you're sweating and dripping and hot, and you're trying to run up the hill of sand. It's just a mound of sand, and so every time you push with your foot, the sand pushes away underneath, and you barely make any progress as you're hauling as hard as you can, and then you stop and look back, and you've made it about three feet, you know what I mean, and uh, climbing up the dunes. And uh, oftentimes, we didn't make it to the top. We didn't care to make it to the top. The top was way up there, and uh, but we had a blast doing what we did, and then you turn around and realize... Wow, we went farther than we thought we did, as you now have to run down that dune. And uh, so we went after, uh, of course, a race down the dune. And uh, everybody knows what happens when you run down a sand dune, right? Right? Your legs get out of control and then, right, flat pancake, rolling, sweaty body, you stand up, sand everywhere, and you're spitting it out of your lips and you're rubbing it off and... And then somehow you laugh about that and then continue running down the dune to the bottom and, and say, we have done it. We have tried the dune. And, uh, well, today we're going to be looking at a topic that's actually, quite frankly, as much like trying to climb a sand dune or a mountain. Uh, we're looking at the sovereignty of God, the sovereignty of God. Uh, that means God is in control of every single thing in the entire universe. Nothing happens without his hand over it. Uh, it's a mountain. Uh, of theology to understand in grasping the vastness of our God and the massiveness of our God and the in controlness of our God. And uh, we have to be careful with it. Uh, every adventure up this dune, we might get a little further, uh, but we'll never get to the top. We're never getting our arms all the way around the sovereignty of God. All right. But we can take a trip up. We can learn some things about it. And we can be in awe of our God for it. So uh, turn with me, if you will, to Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45. 
And uh, we got the ushers coming forward. They got Bibles in their hands. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand and they'll get one to you. All right. Isaiah 45. We're going to start in verse one. And our job is to uh, grab what it means that God is sovereign. And then number two is what am I supposed to do about it? So let's just start with point one here. Uh, Trust him. His sovereign hand is on display even in the secular world. His sovereign hand is on display even in the secular world. Isaiah 45 verse 1. He starts out, Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings and to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. Thus says the Lord. Uh, Hey, just so you know, that's why we preach the word. Because thus says the Lord. Uh, God has some things to share. And uh, I'm not really interested in standing up and sharing with you my uh, latest um, dream or my latest uh, magazine read. Uh, But thus says the Lord, that's worth sharing. You know what I'm saying? And so when we read God's word and when we study God's word, we long for thus says the Lord. Uh, This is one of those moments here, right, that's being recorded for us. And so let's look into it. Thus says the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which means personal name of God used, right? Yahweh, I am. The I am is speaking. It says to his anointed, to his anointed. Now, this word is actually rarely used. It actually is used for kings, Used for Saul and David. It's used to mean the anointed one. Uh, it actually is the Hebrew word Meshua. That's where we get the word Messiah from. This same word ended up being used for Christ. The Messiah. Okay? And so as he's talking here, he's not talking about Jesus Christ. He's actually talking about a man. And he's talking about a created being. And he's talking about somebody who actually doesn't even believe in him. We'll see that in verse 4. But nonetheless, God has chosen him for this moment. It's a very rare, a very unique privilege that this name be attached to him, the anointed. And his name is, well, to Cyrus. It says right after it, right? So to Cyrus, it turns out Isaiah 45 was written uh, somewhere around 700 BC. So it's written about 170 years before the time of Cyrus. Okay, about a hundred years before the Babylonian captivity and then 70 years of that captivity. And at the end of it, that's when Cyrus becomes king and starts raising up over the top of nations and putting them in their place. And he ends up freeing Israel from Babylon, actually Judah, the nation of Judah. And so they end up being freed there by him and sent back to their place. And uh, well, Cyrus, he played a big role in God's hand, in the lives of his people. This is some 170 years before it. So when when Isaiah is writing it, can you imagine? Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus. Hope he reads this or somebody tells him about it. Right? This is God talking to him. And I'm just writing it down. I'm doing what I'm told. And right, 170 years before it. And, and the Jews all knew about it. They were looking for a guy named Cyrus who was going to somehow end up being this great anointed one. And, and I'm sure that some guys named Cyrus were hoping they were the guy. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and then it turned out it wasn't them, right? It was one man, 170 years later, Cyrus. 
uh, it says right after it, whose right hand I have grasped. Uh, God grabbed onto his right hand. What does that mean? Well, I think there's a couple of images to this going on. First of all, have you ever tried to cross the street with a little one? Right? You got like a two or three or four year old and they're doing okay with the walking. The walking thing's working all right, but you're trying to move them along and so you grab their hand and you're walking with them now, right? And, and grasp their hand like it's a busy street, right? And so you hold on tight and, and you're kind of letting them walk and you're kind of not. Let's be real, right? You know what I'm saying? Grasp the hand. And in, in this case, it says the right hand, meaning his ruling hand. God was working with him and helping him to rule and to reign. God had the reign of Cyrus under control. And he was working with him. A man who actually didn't even believe in him. Again, like I said, we'll see that in verse 4. His right hand was grasped. How do we know this? Well, these are some names that were given to Cyrus over the course of time. He was called the great statesman. Uh, His own people called him father. They felt so cared for by him. Can you imagine that? Calling the leader of your nation father. That's a lot of children. Uh, The Jews, well, they called him Lord's anointed. Where'd they get that from? Isaiah 45, verse 1, right? And he's Lord's anointed one. And the Greeks called him a master and a lawgiver. Uh, they trusted in this man. They were in awe of this man. This man was doing great things uh, for the kingdom, and he didn't even know God or about his kingdom. That's how God was using him. So God grasped his right hand, and it says, here's some things God did in the midst of grasping. To subdue nations before him. Uh, nations that were riled up were put in place. Uh, nations that wouldn't respond to him were set in their right spot so that God might be given the glory. Uh, Cyrus began to dominate through war and victory. He subdued nations and God went before him. He loosed the belt of kings, meaning he was taking away their leadership. These kings were giving up their leadership and their running of nations And they were all going towards Cyrus as Cyrus dominated. Uh, It says, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. Uh, Oftentimes, nations would be uh, within giant cities and giant gates, and these gates would be almost impenetrable. And, And so God was making sure that somehow there was a weakening of that nation and a weakening of that gate so that as Cyrus came in, it was an easy toppling. That's what was going on. God says, verse 2, I will go before you and level the exalted places. Uh, Nothing's going to stand before you. I've got it covered, Cyrus. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut open the bars of iron. Metal means nothing. Uh, To most at that time, it meant a lot. Uh, It meant practically impenetrable. And God's like, don't worry about it. I got it covered. Just keep moving. I'm asking you to subdue the world in this time. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes in secret places. Hey, there's a lot of guys who weren't following God and they were amassing wealth to themselves. And as they amassed this wealth, God was saying, that will be handed over to you, Cyrus. You're going to have the wealth of the kingdoms of the nations who will not follow me. I'm bringing it to you. The treasures of darkness, the hordes in secret places. And um, there's an impact that's going to come from this. Verse 3. 
that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. You hearing that? Like I'm telling you, I'm going to so bless you and so work with you and so move amongst you that you will be stunned. And you're simply going to say these words. Seriously? We took it that easily? I mean, he's talking to his generals. Come on. It could not have been that easy. I'm telling you, the gates like just opened up. Like it's almost like they weren't even prepared for us. And this is the fifth one in a row. How could that be? And hey, Cyrus, have you read Isaiah 45? Do you know what is said about some guy named Cyrus someday? And, and it became perfectly clear to him that the God of Israel, the God of his people was moving and Cyrus was being blessed because of it. Uh, that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. Uh, calling by name. Big deal. Right? You know that they know you. You know they know about you. You know they know something anyway. And then they start doing very detailed things in and for you. And you are in awe of what they know. For the sake of my servant Jacob, God giving purpose statement now, verse 4. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, verse 4, though you do not know me. Okay? This is a guy who is leader of a nation, does not know God, does not trust in God, is not praying to God Almighty, is not asking for victories, is not leaning on him in any way, and yet God blesses. And God's doing something. And we, this is a big deal. In the secular world too, not just with those who trust in him, God runs it all. And he's moving this man and he's working in his heart and he's directing his moments and he's preparing ahead of him. And the nation is being protected and led forward by God's very hand. Hey, God sets up and God deposes all the kings of the world. He rules over everything. Uh, The first piece of sovereignty that we need to grasp is that it is not limited in any way, shape or form. To the people. It is all people everywhere. And even those who won't trust in him. God has full control over. And he often even uses. In the midst of his blessing. To make things happen. God at work. It's a miracle work. And we need to trust in it with all we have. So. uh, Real world. Real world practical moment now. The year 2000. President Bush was not elected by hanging chads. Right? Do you remember that moment? And the big giant argument? Are you kidding me? We can't even tell which this ballot even is for. Because one of them is punched through, but two others are hanging there. And and I'm not sure what to do with it. I don't think he really won. Right? And so they set him aside and they recounted and recounted. And by matters of hundreds of votes, he was put into office. And there was huge clamor that, that there had been something wrong going on and that's not what God wanted. And, uh, yeah, that isn't sovereignty. Uh, this is sovereignty. Uh, God worked through every hanging chad. You know what I'm saying? God had it under control. Sovereignty. Uh, President Obama elected just recently. And, and now there's a clamoring, and I don't know if you've heard this, the clamor now is, well, maybe, Uh, Maybe it's because of all these absentee ballots that came in late 
And there were signatures on them and they're rejecting the signatures because they can't match it up. And so those were all thrown away and, and states like Ohio toppled by thousands of votes. And those, there were that many and more absentee ballots and God's in control. God's in control and he places who he wants when he wants. May we look to him and trust in him. That's our job. Our job is to say, Lord, I trust in you and I see you as truly sovereign, not sovereign most of the time. Right? Sovereign most of the time means not sovereign. Do you get that? Right? He rules all the time and has every little detail under control. God has it all. And the kings of the world are absolutely in place strictly because of him. That's what we learn. And that's what we trust. And that's who we follow. Jesus Christ and his reign and his rule. God, I'm not sure what you're doing. And Lord, I'm trusting you in the midst of it. I'm fine if that's your prayer. All right. I get that. But you trust on him as king of kings and Lord of lords. And you let him lead the nations. He is captaining everything to the very end. God has it under control. Everybody just say he's got it under control. He's got it under control. That's what I'm talking about. All right. That is sovereign in the midst. So we have a job. Uh, Pray for your eyes to be made aware. Just pray for your eyes to be made aware. Lord, help me see you at work in every single thing. Uh, Trust that the world is where God is captaining it to. Don't get upset and don't get irritated. It's okay. Hey, we live in a democratic community and we have a right to vote. Please take the advantage of that. All right. Vote. God can work through your vote. All right. Please vote. Uh, But know this. Whatever ends up happening, God's moving. And he has things to do. And hear me on this. Oftentimes we change it and we say, and every move he makes is for immediate blessing. Uh, Wrong answer. Be careful. There are times where he's shaping us too. But every one of those is important and essential. Let God lead. Give him the hand of leadership and trust him with all you have. Uh, We're not humanists. We're not atheists. We're not fatalists. We're sovereigntists. My God's in charge. I just made that word up, so it's okay if you've never heard it before. <laughs> it's an important one, though. It, it means he's in charge, but I have the option of choosing to trust in him, and I'm going to do it right now. My God is sovereign. I'm giving you the lead. All right? So our first point, trust in him. He works even through the hearts of those not committed to him. Number two, uh, worship him. Worship him. His sovereign hand rules even over the bad things. His sovereign hand rules even over the bad things. All right. Starting in verse 5. I am the Lord. There is no other. Besides me, there is no God. Wow, that's a big statement. Actually, you're going to hear this statement a couple of times. I am the Lord and there is no other. Uh, I am the Lord and there is no other. It's kind of sad when God has to declare that. Uh, that's a lot of rebellion going on when you have to make that statement. Have you ever had to make that statement in your home? Yeah, me too. Right. And then, Hey, who's in charge around here? That's what God's saying. Right. Come on now. Who's real? There is none other besides me. And let me tell you this. It certainly isn't you, right? There's some of that going on in this and we better hear him in it. And I am the Lord and there is no other besides me. There is no God. 
There is one God. Uh, All religions that say there are multiple gods. Uh, Wrong answer. There is one God and no other. And his name is Yahweh. And he is the God of the universe that we know. And he provides Jesus Christ as our savior. I am the Lord. There is no other beside me. There is no God. I equip you. Though you do not know me. Remember, he still doesn't trust him or know him. And he says, I equip you. Meaning, I give you the intellect. I give you the insight. I give you the wisdom. I give you the exact abilities you need to keep dominating in this world. I'm giving you everything. And how often do you see mankind stand up and go, look what I have done. And God's like, newsflash, that was me. Do you know what I'm saying? That's what's going on here. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun, that would be the east, right? And from the west, like everywhere from east to west, I'm talking all people included in this, everyone will know that there is none besides me. God has a point to make here. There is none besides him, right? If you hear somebody repeat something repeatedly, 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 they're probably making a point to you. And the point being made here is one God, me, none other. And all are going to know this from the east to the west. How is everybody going to know this? I'm telling you the eyes of the world were upon Cyrus. As he, every move he made, he was never thwarted. And he began to bring nations together under him. And they all began to know of his name and his world as he led it. And as he gives uh, a credit to where he is at, well, Isaiah 45 became pretty well known too. And he's known as the anointed one, even within the nation of Israel. Can you imagine Maybe you didn't know this before, but there was somebody called Messiah before Jesus was called Messiah. And his name was Cyrus, a guy who didn't even believe or trust in God Almighty. Uh, That's how big of a deal God's making a point out of this. I'm giving this name, little M, Messiah. There will be a capital M Messiah coming in Jesus Christ. And he has a whole different level of authority and anointing going on. But I'm using this man right now to make a point. To free my people. He says... Verse 7, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Uh, I form light and create darkness. Like basically light and dark. Is there any other than that? Like I've covered it. From the whole spectrum of light to dark, all me, I created it. Uh, Everything is created by me. It's poetry and he's making a point. He's picking two sides of it and trying to show you the all of it. Okay? So, light and darkness, the whole of it. Here's another whole of it. Well-being and calamity. Okay? If you actually look in the original language, it's the Hebrew word shalom, like peace, well-being. Things are going well for me. The kind where you can just relax and take a deep breath. and Right? And then ra, like uh, nasty, uh, evil, uh, harsh, hurting, and, and that too. And God's running it all. Hang on. Did you just say that God's hand is over the evil? And uh, yes, I did. And we better be real careful about this. This is a big deal. 
Because you're not sovereign if you're only sovereign over some. You're only sovereign if you're sovereign over all. And that's what's happening here. God's hand is making sure of everything. And we're going to be real clear about this in just a second. Some things pass through his hand. Some things are dictated by his hand. But everything goes through his hand. God manages it. Every single thing. And so, yes, God is over even the calamity, the heartache. I am the Lord who does all these things. All these things. Some have tried to read this and pass aside hurts that other people would do and say that's not a part of it. Uh, I'm telling you, they busted the poetry up bad then. He's trying to make a point that he's over everything. And you're like, yeah, everything but this. No, you didn't hear me. I'm over everything. That is his point. Sovereign, ruling, and choosing. Hopefully right now you're like, how does this work? That's a good question to ask. How does this work? And hang on, let's get to it right after verse 8. He says, shower, O heavens, from above and let the clouds rain down righteousness. He's beginning to mix metaphors here. He's taking his creator God and he's mixing it with restorer God. And the God who made the rain and the earth and the fruit and the plants, that same God, well, he's the God that's now making righteousness. Let the earth open that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. He's saying, look, I work in the brokenness and I bring righteousness and I bring salvation. I'm bringing good in the midst of bad. Hang on, I've got it all under control. Do you see how important it is that he has even the bad under control? If you don't have it under control, then it's a war among equals. That isn't what's happening at all. God has it all under control and the evil is nothing. God's putting it in line and he's using it to his benefit and to his glory. All right. So uh, I don't really get it, Tim. I'm kind of confused by it. And, uh, and I need some help in this. All right. So what we're going to do is we're going to describe God's sovereignty like a tent. All right. We're going to describe it like a tent. Have you ever put a tent up? Uh, that's a small answer. Have you ever put a tent up? All right. Good. Join me in this. So uh, when you put a tent up, you've ever put like one pole of the tent up and the other four, like say it's a five pole tent, further four are down and the thing is like flopping and the pole, uh, the pole of the tent just starts bending and you can barely hold it up, right? It's hard to do it with one pole, right? Yeah, don't try to understand God's sovereignty by really understanding just one piece, okay? And maybe you get all four pieces up and that fifth one's just hanging and you're like, it doesn't look like a tent. That whole side is like collapsed in and you really don't have security and strength and the whole of it until you have all the poles of the tent up. Okay. And so sovereignty, there's going to be five poles of the tent that have to be in place if you're going to understand it. And it's still that mountain to climb over time of experience with him. But at least with those five poles in place, we're going to have a chance of getting it. All right. And, and so why does this matter to me? I'm telling you, the moment you deal with problems and struggles, this is going to matter to you. How much is my God in charge and what's going on? And so hear me, here are the five poles of the tent. You ready? Five poles in the tent of sovereignty that absolutely have to be in place. Whatever you answer for sovereignty, it better have these five poles in it. Number one, God is ultimately responsible for everything. God is responsible for everything. You got a verse for that, Tim? Uh, yeah, Isaiah 45, 7, right? We just went through it. 
God is responsible for everything, every detail under him, and he controls it. And we got to get that. And so hear me, here's the best way to understand it. God has a hand and nothing happens without his hand. Some things he lets through his fingers, he permits. And other things he turns around and he does with his fingers, he makes happen. But nothing happens without God's hand. The end. Some is permission. Some is making it happen. But always God's hand. Okay? That's number one. God's hand over it all. Number two. Yeah, but if God's doing evil things, maybe God's evil then. What did we just say? And, and so don't lose this pole of the tent. Number two, God is good. God is good. Verse Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Hey, God is good. He is righteous. He is holy. He is all love. God is amazing in who he is. And if our understanding of sovereignty has gone in such a way that we're like, God is bad. Well, then you've turned the wrong corner. Your tent looks bad. Fix it. You've got to pull down. God is good. Don't lose sight of that. Okay. Absolutely awesome in who he is. God is ultimately in charge. God is good. Number three, uh, we do have choices and those choices have responsibility. Uh, we do have choices and those choices have responsibility. That's a really important pole in the tent. We can say, well, God is in charge of everything. So I guess I am in charge of nothing and I don't do anything. And, and you've dropped the third pole of the tent. We have choice and there's responsibility in it. Um, verses Joshua 24 verse 15. Joshua standing before the nation and he says, choose you this day whom you will serve. What he didn't say, choose you this day whom you will serve. There's really no choice at all. Don't tell them no. Choose. But that's not what's going on. He says to choose because he means choose. He says to choose because he's calling them to action and will engaging with God almighty. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Uh, Romans 10, 9 and 10. We're called to believe and confess. Those are things that we are called to do ourselves and we need to be making these uh, choices. And there's responsibility if we don't. Uh, I love these verses. Genesis 3, 14 to 19. They're simple and it's God talking to serpent and Adam and to Eve. And he simply says, there's some things that have to happen to you because of the choices. He says, because you have done this, responsibility is on you. Whatever your answer to sovereignty is, the responsibility lays on the chooser of wrong. You hearing me? That's really important. If we're like, well, God made everything happen. So if I did bad, it's God's fault. You've missed the point. Responsibility lies on us. There is a choosing in this. We do have enough choice that causes us responsibility. And yet our choice still sits within the sovereign hand of God. Some things he allows, some things he stops, some things he makes happen. Our choosing within his sovereign hand. Okay. Absolutely essential. Are you starting to get at the vastness of this mountain? It's a big deal. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Just another example of choosing, having responsibility. Okay. So the fourth pole in the tent. Hey, we're to be all about his glory, not our comfort. 
It's not about our comfort. It's about our king. You've heard me say that a million times over if you've been with us. Not about our comfort. It's about our king. It's all about his glory. That's why we're here. One of the number one reasons we have problems with processing God's sovereignty is because we're like, that didn't feel good. You know what I'm saying? I'm not good with this now. Thank you. What you just allowed to happen hurt. And hang on. Shaking my fist at you. That's how we often respond to God, right? And the problem is we're not grasping. Hey, it's about him getting the glory. God, what do you need done? It's not about my comfort. It's about you, the creator, the almighty king being shown off in my life. And first Corinthians 10 31 verse for that, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you're doing all for the glory of God, right? Or Romans 11, 36, uh, glory. Be to God forever and ever. Amen. That's Romans eleven thirty six. Hey, we're to be all about God's glory. That's our job. <sighs> Makes a big difference when we're putting up the poles in the sovereignty tent. And number five, God will conform believers to his image. He's going to make us look like him. And that's his ultimate goal is bringing us to look like him. And as we look like him, it becomes clear who we're following and that brings him glory. And so his job in working in your life is to say, come with me. I want to show you my awesomeness and I want you to come along on that ride and I want you to experience and taste it. And then I want you to be touched by my glory in a way that allows you to be transformed from one degree of glory to the next. He is literally making you look like himself. As he brings in the fruit of the spirit and he brings in this hope and peace and joy and gentleness and right that you might look like him. And as people look at you, they get who he is and God gets shown off. He's conforming you to his image Verses Romans 8, 28 to 30. That God would work all things together for good to those that love him. All right. So if you notice, that's five poles in the tent, and this is a very complicated tent, and it gets complicated because we get our emotions involved in it, and we start to try to figure out, God, what's really going on here? Uh, I'm hurting, and the sickness in my family right now, seriously? And, And we begin to process. Maybe you're not good. Nope, pole in the tent just came down, if that's true. Or maybe you don't know what's going on. Nope, God's absolutely over everything. Tent pole just came down if we do that, right? Or, or you know what? Maybe it's supposed to be about my comfort and you don't understand. Nope. We just let a pole in the tent come down. And are you hearing it? You get these five poles in the tent, right? I'm telling you, it's going to help you process every event in your life appropriately. And all of a sudden you will simply be in awe of God's sovereignty. That's what it looks like. Okay. All right. Let's get real practical example personal example. Um, so, uh, I was born, uh, with a hand and a foot. I don't know if you know this. Uh, hopefully you do by now <laughs> look a little better, but, uh, born with a hand and a foot. My hand actually had one finger and I had three made, uh, sixties technology. So they did the best they could and, uh, six surgeries in order to be able to grip things. Okay. Hey, I was able to golf. I was able to play uh, football and baseball and basketball. Didn't say how good, but I was able to play. And uh, most of that was more ability than anything else, but loved playing, loved playing football. It is my absolute love. And, uh, my foot also has a similar problem. And, uh, because of it, 
ended up tearing my ankle and blowing my knee out playing football my uh, freshman year. And uh, sports were done. Aggressive sports were done. And uh, so now what? And God, what are you all about? And I'm not even sure I get this. And can you see the fist shaking starting? And uh, I was willing to put up with, but now... And um, so my competitive spirit in me, I was like, I got to do something. And uh, our church at the time had what was called Bible quizzing. Okay. How many of you are aware of what that is? Do you even know? Okay. So for those of you who don't know, Bible quizzing, this is where you memorize scripture. And uh, as a team, you're memorizing each week and each month. And then each month you come together and compete with another set of churches. And you go head to head and there's four on one side and four on the other. And you have these buzzers in your hand. And when they ask the question, you buzz in. And then you finish the question and give the answer. Uh, so uh, it's an intense time of verse memorization and understanding God's word and then being able to answer questions to it. There's 20 questions. Whoever has the most points at the end wins. And uh, so here's the big deal. It allowed, first of all, for some competition outlet, but it also allowed for me to pour into the scripture. I mean, we memorized awesome, like we memorized Ephesians and James and first, second, third, John and Jude and Romans. And like we went after it. It was a blast learning and memorizing. And, and being able to compete. But here's the big deal of it. The pastor who was leading it, now the senior pastor of that church, said, We are not competing for your glory. Pulling the tent coming up. Are you hearing it? We are not competing for your glory. We're competing for his. And so wherever he places us, then that's where we are. And so our job is to do the hardest we can to work and the best we can to pray and the most we can to know. And then we'll perform for him. And Lord, may you get the glory and wherever you place us, you place us. And we loved going head to head, praying for that other team. God, may they do their best for you and whatever. And if you have them win, then great. And if you have us win, then great. But I'm ready for you to be honored no matter what. And it changed my whole view of God's sovereignty. And uh, the blast of it is God bless that group. Uh, we ended up going to uh, nationals. We ended up taking nationals. So... Uh, thousand plus churches and we took first over the overall in that i'm telling you none of that would have happened if we were like it's all about me lord it's all about you teach us and man did he teach us in those years hey i could have shaken a fist at god for the design plan and for the injury and the blowout and for the impact of taking me out of football and it put me in a place where i learned about him in such a deep way i will never be the same again are you hearing it? Got it work in every little detail. Every single moment. Whatever is going on in your life, God's got it. And he's doing something. Hey, what's God speaking to you about right now? What is it? He's got you. And he's making a statement. Keep all five poles of the tent strong. And let God lead. That he might be glorified. And you might be conformed to his image. May God get the greater glory. So here's a simple question. What in your life. Is making you begin to clench the fist. Is making you begin to weep. Is making you long for it to be different than it is. And you're saying, God, no. 
What is that? Get that in your mind. Got it? Now simply say, okay, Lord, if you're really in charge, then I'm taking this and I'm putting it right at your feet. You have everything under control, both now and tomorrow, and I'm letting you lead. What do you want done? Lord, I know you're moving, and so I'm ready to see your hand move with my will intact. I choose to trust you and to worship you with all I've got. Worshiping him in the midst of your struggle. There is no greater worship than that. I'm telling you, worship through tears. No stronger worship in the world. Uh, we can worship when we're blessed. I get that. He's awesome. Yeah, it's all going good. But that moment where you're struggling, where the tears are gut-wrenching, where the pain is hurting, still my hands are open to you, Lord. And I cry out to you, my King. And I worship you with all I've got. God loves that worship and that worshiper. Our job is to show him off with all we've got. That the world may know there is none other besides him. Amen? Amen. That the world may know. Wow. Guys, I'm telling you, I went through this passage this week. And this is it. If you get this, everything is in line. Everything. Now is the moment. Don't let it pass. Be done with the battling. Put all five poles of the tent in place. And let him lead. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. And all of God's people said. Yeah, we should probably finish there. But we have a third point. All right. Third point, follow him. Follow him. His sovereign hand created everything. So in case we didn't get it, verses 9 through 13 are there for us. Okay? Woe to him who strives with him who formed him. Let's talk about the obvious. There's a negative repercussion to not giving God his just desserts. He doesn't lose his sovereignty. He keeps it. Uh, we lose. That's what he's saying. So be careful. Woe to him. That means like, look out. Uh, that means you don't want this. Right? Woe to him. Who strives with him. That's like, I'm wrestling with you. I'm battling with you. I won't want, I don't want to give you your way. And my will is standing against you right now. Not that I have any hope, but that's what I'm doing anyway. And, uh, striving against him. It's a pot among earthen pots. I love that statement. Isaiah. He's like, duh. We're all created. Uh, join me in it. I'm created. You're created. And uh, that's what it is. Does the clay say to him who forms him, what are you making? You got to say that with a Jewish accent. What are you making? What is this? Right? You got to do that. That's what Isaiah was doing, right? What are you making? Your work has no handles. Like this is ridiculous. And is that what we see that the clay responds to the potter with judgment and critique? And uh, isn't that what we do? Uh, 
What's with his hand? What are you doing? What's with this design in me? I'm not good with this. Be careful. We're beginning to make somebody else God. And that's a little fake world. It doesn't live. It doesn't breathe. Woe to him who says to a father, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, with what are you in labor? Look, man doesn't have any statement, even over the very things we would like to say we control, right? And even the womb, God's in control over that. And God's creating. Let him speak. Verse 11, thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, the one who formed him. Okay, this is that moment. Thus says the Lord. Like I'm telling you, when you're reading and you see thus says the Lord, stop. Uh, That's a good time to circle it and say, wow, God's talking here and what's going on. And look, throughout all of scripture, God's speaking. But when it actually records the very words of God, moment to listen. Okay. Thus says the Lord. This is one of those moments. Have you ever been in the mall? Where you're walking through the mall with your kids and things are getting a little out of control, right? Okay, maybe it's not you. It's the family next to you. And it's out of control. And you're finally like, that's it. Billy, come here. Come here. 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 No. Here. Look at me. Up. 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 Billy, right? (laughs) Have you been in those moments? Just us. Okay. I know you've been there. You don't have to admit it. God says, thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, the one who formed him. Ask me of things to come. Like, look, I have the entire universe in control and I know what the end times have. And I am captaining this ship through every single instance. I know what's coming and I have it under control. Ask me. Ask me what's in control. I have the answer. Do you? God's given one of those moments in the, in the mall. You know what I'm saying? Like time to hear his voice speak with authority. God, I know you have it under control and no, I do not. These are the times where when you're looking at them and they ask and you go. Right? That's what. Do you have it? Do you understand? I do. (laughs) That's what's happening here. Will you command me concerning my children and the work of my hands? Seriously, you're going to tell me what has to be done. I've got it under control. I made the earth and created man on it. Uh, Wow. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens. Remember we talked about that last week? Like closing the curtain on your shower. That's God creating the heavens, right? And I commanded all their hosts. I have stirred him up in righteousness and I will make all his ways level. We are now talking about Cyrus. He's switching into saying, hear me. Do you see what I have done with this ruler and where I placed him? He shall build my city and set my exiles free. Not for price or reward. I didn't bribe him. Says the Lord of hosts. I stirred him. I moved him. I've got it. Hear me. Trust me. I have this thing under control. And I need you to trust me. Behold the Lord our God. He has it all under control. And it's so important to give him that lead. 
to trust him, to worship him, and then to follow him with all you've got. Follow him with all you've got. Not, Lord, you follow me. I've got a plan. Can you please bless it? That's how our prayers go often. Did you know that? Lord, we planned this great thing. And so now will you please help it to go well? What is that? How about this? Lord, we sense you're leading us here. And if you're not, slam that door closed. And if you are, then open it wide. And we want you to lead and nothing else. I follow you. You're my king. What do you have for me? You are sovereign. You rule over everything. And I give you my heart right now. My choosing has responsibility. And you have me. I follow you as king. You're my God. And I love you with all I've got. Isaiah 45. Be in awe of his sovereignty. Amen. Let's pray.